Welcome into the Show 6 Podcast, where we break down the championship series for Pokemon Go. Today, we're taking a look at both the Knoxville and the Melbourne Regional Championships, where over 200 total players competed. We'll discuss Shadow Whiskash dominating both sides of the planet. We'll answer who truly is the GOAT of regional competitions, and much, much more. So everyone, prepare for trouble and make it double, because we had a double regional weekend, double back-to-back champions, and double Night Slash boost as well. everybody welcome into the show six podcast i'm speedy's chief two here with my co-host z zwilas zwilas i just have to say your intro for last week's episode was a chart topper it was incredible (laughs) people loved it how are you doing this week i have to say i'm feeling pretty boosted today um to quote one of our regional champions um no speedy i'm doing fine uh i really hope that i don't have to do this award-winning intro another time um (laughs) but thankfully we didn't have any european competitions this week Uh only north american and oceanian and yeah so europe is safe for now um and we still got a lot of great battles to watch this weekend like only only half of them we actually got to watch but still like that was that was a stacked top cut Oh, no, definitely. And and we're actually going to point out because, you know, Zwei and I both patrol social media. We're friends with a lot of folks in the community. We're going to show you where you can watch all of the Melbourne battles. But of course, because there's no official stream, we didn't get to see that. So we'll touch on both regionals. We'll kind of, uh, I guess, shift our focus mostly towards Knoxville. And I agree with you. I think the top cut in particular in Knoxville was probably the, the most elite top cut we've ever had in North America. If you look at the winner's side bracket, our top eight players, every other pairing, or excuse me, every pairing had a former regional winner. So every other player in our top eight, you know, four out of eight were all previous regional winners, which is pretty insane. I don't know if that's ever happened in EU before. Yeah, like I honestly think that um, at this point, I, I I would almost say that Onion Frank, who made it the furthest furthest on the winner's side, basically proved that he is kind of due a regional title just by virtue of making it that far where like only Magic Mason, Rise to Occasion, and Doombug prevailed. Like there's yeah. there's some loser bracket battles going on as well where we could take a look at some newcomers that might um make a name for themselves in the future. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like so many big names. Like basically, I do think I do think one reason why we have this is seeding, because oh, yeah. we only have had seeding for like a couple of events, and before that, those people would knock each other out in day one, and now they all make it to day two, and that's what we get for it. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're right. Because uh, of course, with our our separate pods, you know, we have the championship points and the previous tournament performance kind of come into account. So maybe you're somebody, you know, who had a lot of success last year, like, like, uh, for example, if you're looking at 2021, or excuse me, 2022, 2023, you could come in as Dancing Rob, you know, into a seeded bracket. And whereas previously, Dancing Rob would be tossed anywhere in the lineup. A lot of the times, it just depended on what time you signed up, right? <laughs> in this case, yeah. he actually the the world championship victory would be weighted into his seeding so we have like the top seeds for the entire tournament top seed for each pod and i agree with you i think it, it really helps to like uh match players based more on skill set and then it gives us the best battles as the stream goes on i think i mentioned it in knoxville it feels like the heat just keeps getting turned up the longer and longer the stream goes on yeah definitely and the one person who definitely turned up the heat um, and this time, not with a Skeledurge, but with another ghost type, is Doonberg97, um, three times regional winner, and yeah, definitely the main character of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, Doonberg was it was absolutely unstoppable. It's it's always like a, I don't want to say it's like cliche, but I do mention it a lot. Whenever you see certain names signed up for a tournament, you say, oh, that person oh, yeah. might be able to win it all. 
And whenever you see Dune Bug sign up, you're thinking, okay, yeah, this is going to be a top five contender, top three contender. You look at somebody like Wadage, you maybe feel the same way. A lot of these players are just that good. Um, but I think that for me personally, this the story of the weekend was really kind of like established names versus up and comers. And you know, up and comers has a bit of an asterisk on it because we have some trainers who top cut before, some who've had really express you know impressive runs in Go Battle League, but just that winner's side bracket was just the perfect snapshot, right? It was it was regional champion versus a player that had maybe top cut once before, but was looking for their big uh, breakthrough moment. And one player that really stood out to me, my favorite trainer to watch the whole weekend, had mm-hmm. to be Yuzuku. I thought Yuzuku was was as talented as anybody in the room. I thought his play calls, his energy counting was as good as anyone I've ever seen. And in particular, the matchup against Hot Pocket. I, you know, I, I love Pocket, right? But Pocket got picked apart by Yuzuku. It was absolutely a piece of art. I have to say, I'm I'm a Yuzuku fan after this weekend because, yeah. like, you you see players um, who know their counts, who know their win conditions, and who just have like generally very sound and solid gameplay. And then there's this extra level of really understanding. The entire depth of the game where like people are waiting to turn to prevent catches and sometimes it's not even in a crucial moment but you you just if you watch the game you just see those little details that basically go above and beyond to like whenever i have like battles versus uh, martin inadequance in in europe i just see the things he does and i feel like you you cheeky little like you <laughs> yeah. are you are you are really one step ahead of the competition with those with those little plays, and I saw the same in Yuzuku the entire weekend. Yeah, and this was his um, second ever regional competition. Um, he placed seventh in Peoria, fifth in Knoxville. Um, I checked his Dracovis page, and he also um, reached um, beyond thirty five hundred Elo in the Go Battle League. Um, I think he's on the Chicago Stars uh, faction, the, the grassroots yeah. team, and they already have like multiple regional winners on on their side. So yeah, I would not be surprised if if Yuzuku is someone we we will have to keep an eye on in the future. Yeah, I, I heard a rumor he was their master league specialist, which also you know blows my mind because <laughs> we typically don't see trainers succeed at a high level in great league and also master league uh but i guess it's not unheard of right you have a lot of trainers that really memorize the counts and the matchups down to a very fine details uh, but i just feel like there's always been a bit of a gap between you know the the whales as we call them the master league <laughs> players who who raid all day long and the great league champions right who only join a join a cup or a tournament or whatever if it's 1500 cp yeah, I think there's there's a little bit of of a stigma surrounding Master League specialists because um, there's just this accessibility gap between the Great League and the Master League. Mm-hmm. So to become a Master League specialist in a grassroots format, sometimes um, teams just pick the player that rates the most. And it's not necessarily the most um, like mechanically gifted player they have on the, on the yeah. roster. Like that's the stereotype. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yuzuku just showed that that is by far not a guarantee and it really pays dividends um, if you have someone on your team who does not only have the roster for Master League, but also just understands every little detail about this game and can put it into action, even on the biggest of stages. Well, you heard it here first. If Yuzuku has a million fans, Swilas and I are two of them. If Yuzuku <laughs> has 10,000 fans, <laughs> we are two of them. But uh, that being said, Swilas, let's talk about some meta changes, meta developments. I think we're seeing Annihilate get a stronger and stronger grip on the meta. Uh, but there was one pick I had in my caster predictions. I actually want to hear what your thoughts are on this mm-hmm. because this Pokemon was was pointed out uh, by by a different trainer excuse me, how do I say this? Another trainer suggested that you should look at this Pokemon for the meta, whereas I heard it from a different trainer. That doesn't really make sense. Anyways, <laughs> two different people told us to look at the same Pokemon. That's what I should have said. And I think you know what I'm alluding to there. Um, please, please enlighten me because I'm actually it's- quite confused right now. <laughs> Okay, well, don't worry, we'll get it in post. Um, <laughs> two different trainers that are very, very talented both recommended Shadow Whiskash. Now, oh. I'm, I'm taking a look at your notes here. Uh, maybe a trainer some people have heard of actually told you this might be a pick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
it is true it is true um just like days before um the Knoxville regional um i have uh, seen on my on my timeline on uh twitter or x however you prefer it um <laughs> yeah. That the world champion, it's Axon, uh, labeled um, Shadow Whiskash the most underused and underappreciated Pokemon in the Open Grade League. And I was skeptical. I was like, this is um, more of a defense and HP weighted Pokemon. Do you really want to give up that strength of, of Whiskash for just a little more of, of an oomph or with yeah. its skulls and mud bombs? But apparently you do want that, and there is good reason for that. Mm -hmm. I think the, the Shadow Gligar matchup in particular is something I heard called out quite a bit. Yep. So uh, the first time Shadow Whiskash was recommended to me was actually from Jangles21. He told me going into Knoxville that he was definitely going to play it. He thought it had way more utility than people were expecting. And actually, I, I lied. There's a third trainer who told me Shadow Whiskash was oh. good, and it was actually on his stream. And that uh, player was Doombug97. I was watching him play... <laughs> yeah, ironic, right? I was watching him play uh, ABA Flyers. He was playing Shadow Gligar lead with uh, Skarmory and Whiskash. And he was uh, he was telling me, you know, I was in the stream chat. He said, yeah, Shadow Whiskash can, can close the window, close the gap in the matchup with Shadow Gligar. And I think that that was a great read because looking at the, the usage here for top 16, 12 out of the top 16 trainers had Shadow Gligar on their team. Yeah, it's like... Shadow Gligar, Lickitung, mm -hmm. and then it's basically Whiskash and Charger Bug. That's that's probably the big four right now. And if you if you just look at those Pokemon versus versus Charger Bug, you're always good. Like you you are the ground type against the electric type. You're fine. Versus Lickitung, it's simply a negative matchup just because Power Web one shots. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a dynamic game situation. You would rather want to have the Pokemon that does a little more damage to to knock out the Lickitung, um, rather than something that stays in and survives more hits. Because if you can't survive a hit anyway, if a Power Whip just straight knocks you out, mm -hmm. um, of course sometimes you get the Skull debuff and survive on one HP, but you don't really go far from that one HP. So might as well go for that bit of extra dynamic dynamic counterplay. And exactly. then there's the Shadow Gligar, and now you threaten the knockout with just the Scald. And I'm really, I'm really like, I'm not, I don't want to call it now, but I <laughs> could see um, a shift back to regular Gligar just to oh. counteract the, the Shadow bonus that Whiskash now receives. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a, a lot of the other uh, kind of, areas where shadow Gligar really excels is against fighting type Pokemon. I think namely shadow Poliwrath was a big target for shadow Gligar because uh, against a regular Poliwrath, the shadow Gligar can throw the aerial ace and you still probably need to throw another charge attack depending, depending on how healthy the shadow Poliwrath is. But with only one Poliwrath, I believe in, in our top 16 in Knoxville, it really doesn't justify that that usage uh, quite the same way that it used to. And then you look at Annihilate, right? And Annihilate just feels like a little bit, maybe just like 5 or 10% glassier than Polyrath in some ways. And, and I feel also, like we have seen a whole weekend of Night Slash propaganda. <laughs> so... Oh, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Well, is there, you know, I wonder if there's merit to that. We'll talk about that in a second, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you make a great point, right? Because a lot of Annihilate players uh, were running Ice Punch for coverage and we've seen this, this broad pivot almost over towards the Night Slash side of the force. So I don't know. I, regular Gligar, that's a pretty bold call. Um, I'm actually not sure if we'll see that or not. But uh, speaking to the rest of the meta, you you rounded out our, our top two, right? Shadow Gligar, Lickitung with 12 and 11, respectively, in our top 16 in Knoxville. Whiskash, Skarmory, and Annihilate were all tied at seven. And then we had Chargebug with six out of our top 16. Um, I wanted I wanted to point out something that surprised me. The the prominence of, of Skarmory, Whiskash cores on these teams of six, right? There were so many games where, where we had Skarmory, Whiskash uh, mm -hmm. for each player. And it, that's like a classic Go Battle League core. <laughs> and it just feels like, are we in the Twilight Zone? Is this season three of GBL? Like, what's going on? We are in the season of Timeless Travels, after all. And it's, yeah. like, infamously unbreakable. Like, 
of course there's um, Pokemon that are neutrally strong against it, um, which is uh, in part what led to the rise of Dugong mm. um, as a pick that succeeded in Europe and that also made it to another grand finals in North America. Um, so yeah, like being able to um, play, especially like elite Pokemon that if your opponent opts for that, okay, I have Whiskash in the lead, Skarmory in the back, or Skarmory in the lead, Whiskash in the back. Mm-hmm. If you just have one Pokemon that can neutrally win alignment, so you, you're basically good into that core, um, that's incredibly valuable currently. And I do mm-hmm. think that will um, be the same for Dortmund. And maybe, maybe like if we don't see major changes coming for uh, the upcoming meta update, um, because we're less than a month away from that. Um, like Scummery Whiskash, Scummery Mudboy is here to stay. It's been here for years and it will not go anywhere. Yeah, it, it definitely feels powerful. And I, and I feel like uh, even when watching the, the grand finals, right? Because Magic Mason brought Dugong on his team. That makes it, uh, if not mistaken, two grand finals with three Dugongs, you know, back to back when we count Liverpool, it just felt like he really couldn't do much in the matchup. And I think it was, you know, for other team reasons that we can talk about later, but I feel like Dugong looked decent, but it didn't have that same kind of dominance that it did in Liverpool just a, a, you know, a short week or two ago. So I'm interested, I'm interested to see, you know, a Skarmory Whiskash is something a lot of trainers can pilot very well. They have a lot of experience with it and those Pokemon are both relatively accessible so i'm interested to see especially you know with the recent team rocket event I'm, I'm interested to see a if skarmory whiskash will stick around and i'm interested to see how many europeans adopt the shadow whiskash yeah 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 i have to say that i haven't checked my game yet but i'm pretty sure i forgot to tm my shadow barboches because nice. i didn't know whether it was such a high priority pokemon and everybody's short on TMs, right? So I just don't think I actually have the the option to even bring a Shadow Whiskash <laughs> to a tournament unless I'm really into that frustration gaming. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do think if people actually grinded for that and have one prepared, it's probably the Pokemon of choice now because like we were we were talking about the Dugong matchup. That is actually a lot closer if you have um, the Shadow Whiskash. And also other like bulky neutral Pokemon that you might want to bring into um, Skarmory Whiskash, like mm-hmm. Azumarill or uh, even Jellison, uh, which we did see in Top Cut. Um, those are significantly weaker if the Whiskash is Shadow because the Mud Bombs mm-hmm. just add up and they come out so quickly. Yeah, I was trying to think of uh, like, like an equivalence because you've got you have a Pokemon like Shadow Dragonite where its main role is just to Dragon Breath through everything, and because it's already got a double weakness to Ice and it's not the not the bulkiest Pokemon, you can te- technically like lean on it towards towards just being Shadow just because it does the job a little bit better. You can arguably say the same thing about Charizard, right? And Whiskash is kind of like it. It almost feels more like a Hypno. Like when Shadow Hypno was very prominent, it hit just a little bit harder, but it still retained quite a bit of bulk. But if you're going to lose a matchup, then just go ahead and lose it no, no matter what. But we did see some situations where double or triple scald uh, <laughs> had the result of a power whip from Lickitung not quite knocking out the Whiskash. And that was truly, uh, it <laughs> felt like we were we were in the Twilight Zone. Um, there's another trainer, right? We talked about Yuzuku, but another one of these up-and-comers that I would really love to, to discuss a little bit more, a trainer that ran Carbink. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. last season in Peoria, you want to ch- you want to chat about Rock Haven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I have to say that I was a bit of a Rock Haven doubter at first, but that was purely due to a lack of information about the guy. Yeah. Um, because you see someone play the first regional and bring a carbink on their team, and you think, okay, this is this is one of those alignment based players, right? Like mm-hmm. people who just win need RPS backline and maybe <laughs> maybe this was a fluke, maybe he's not actually that good. And then the next um regional came around and Rockhaven didn't do that well. I think he finished like 49th or something. Like yes, correct. not like it's not the worst in the world. Like I have I have finished lower at, at um events, but it didn't really um solidify him as um a trainer to to keep an eye on but 
Yeah, like I checked his Dracovis profile, same as Yuzuku, also a 3500 ELO plus player. The guy knows what he's doing. And this time he didn't bring um, a, a carving. He brought a team that was not RPS at all, did have an Umbreon, which was an interesting meta read. Yep. Um, and he came up third in Knoxville, which is just like, if you play three tournaments total, you get fifth in Peoria and third in Knoxville. Um, that is like elite level finishes. And mm -hmm. another thing I want to point out about Rockhaven, because I was so wrong with my initial read about, okay, this guy is probably just carving bing pong. Okay, I do fast move damage. <laughs> um, <laughs> he brought um, a total of 15 unique Pokemon and 14 unique species to the three regionals he played in. Like there was one wow. time where he brought Shadow Glygar and regular Glygar. So you can count those separately. You can count those as the same, like whatever floats your boat. But like the only thing that he brings to every regional is a Lickitung. Everything else he switches up. So he is comfortable with a lot of different picks. And yeah, like basically same as Yuzuku. He just he just played ex incredibly well. Like mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do if your opponent just double boosts on you. Um, so that might be unfortunate in some situations. But just yeah. from um, just from a gameplay side, impressive showing. I want to speak to his bracket run for just a minute here because uh, obviously all of our day two battles are streamed. We try to show as many of those games as we possibly can. And a lot of trainers will probably remember the tournament and say, oh yeah, on, on the round one of day two, he got two owed by Dunebug and knocked down to the, to the loser's bracket. This was his run through the loser's bracket. 2-1 over out of pocket, 2-1 over Jingles 21, 2-0 over Rise to Occasion, and then a 2-0 over Onion Frank before finally falling to Magic Mason in game number five, where honestly, they both sweat their asses off trying to win that series. Yeah. Right? That was super intense. What a lot of people don't know, though, I don't think, I don't, I'm not, I can't recall if these games are streamed. What a lot of people don't know is that Rockhaven had to beat Abinov in round three of day one, which he did 2-1, and also Spartan L17, who's one of the top players in Mexico and finished near the top of the Mexico City qualifier last year. So again, like you said, this this guy is not fooling around. The only two people he lost to in the tournament, you know, obviously by virtue of being third place, he lost to the first two, but are Dunebug and Magic Mason. Those are the only two people <laughs> able to beat this trainer. He failed everyone else, which is just mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, talk about s strength of schedule. Like, yeah. For, like, also, like, sometimes, you know, when you play in, in the Go Battle League and you queue into, a, like, one of the, the bigger, more known names in the community and you want to show your, your friends by taking a screenshot, like, Rockhaven would have had to take screenshots after or before <laughs> every single match, basically, yeah. especially in day two. And I think he played in a way that, um, going forward, people encountering in the Go Battle League will take screenshots of him. <laughs> like oh, that yeah. was that was a clinic. Oh, it was. Yeah, I I think that's like the Kevin Saladeras strat, right? Where you, you screenshot <laughs> screenshot the big wins. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The infamous the infamous Kevin Twitter. <laughs> like you 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 made it when you actually get tagged in a tweet of his. It's true. It's true. We we all love Kevin. Uh, I want to talk about another another run here just briefly. My my dark horse pick, right? And maybe it's because we've been friends for years, right? Maybe it's because I know that he's really talented and I want to see him succeed. But Jingles twenty one also had a very solid run, uh, losing to Awesome Ev, but defeating Wadaj, Bulk, King Alexander, Blob Na, and Lyle Jeffs before finally losing to Rock Haven to get knocked out of the tournament. Definitely a, a strong trainer and the original person that recommended shadow Whiskash to me. So it, it's always kind of cool. And I'm sure you get this feeling sometimes as well. When, when someone that, you know, from Germany, maybe, maybe you were uh, battling in Sylph or maybe you, you know, went to a tournament early on in grassroots, seeing that person kind of grow and succeed and do well, like on a global stage uh, or maybe even, you know, a national stage. That's what, that's the feeling, the experience I had with Jingles this past weekend. Yeah, I think I think I saw someone, I don't know whether it was on Twitter or some mm. some other platform, where somebody called Jangles the best player to not consistently top cut. And I would agree with that because yeah. like he's been around and basically on on the top of the game for so long 
that you're you're kind of surprised by like the the lack of a really breakout run that he's been he's been having. Like I played against Jangles in in Hartford actually when I made my way to North America, and he was the one knocking me completely out of the tournament in the losers bracket, and that was like incredibly intense. It came down to actually one turn because mm. that was that was how much energy my my registeel would have needed to to get to the killing move but yeah yeah like jangles plays plays precisely um jangles has what it takes to even win one of those and um i think it was it was definitely great to to see him like because i've i've also like been there in terms of getting a little bit discouraged and maybe losing trust in my own ability mm -hmm. um whenever there's like a stretch of tournaments that don't really go my way. But between like cups and challenges and this regional showing, I really hope that like Jangles just keeps putting himself out there and mm. just continues on his current track because I do think there's there's more to come if he just keeps it up like that. Like meta reads, execution, yeah. it seems to be on the right track. Yeah, uh, the most memorable series for me is when he took on Lyle Jeffs and and Lyle, I think it was three different times where Lyle came in and sniped Jangle's Pokemon and just got, you know, three counters of energy with his Vigoroth versus Skarmory or, you know, five or six licks, you know, licking down a Pokemon and, and gathering energy for the next matchup. And still, no matter what Lyle tried to do, Jangle still kept him at arm's length and was able to win the series. If you remember when Jangle's got eliminated, it was against Rockhaven game three. He actually reached a CMP tie with his power whip onto Rockhaven's Whiskash, lost the CMP and, and fainted to the mud bomb, which I did not think was going to knock out. If you listen to the cast, I'm like, there's no yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Lickitung has this, but then Shadow Factor <laughs> kicks in and he gets the win. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I think he's a, a great guy, a great friend. And I can't wait to see what he does in the future. And I think this is, this is a huge like confidence building moment too. you know, to go up against some of the best. This is like uh, logging into a game and playing through the story mode in legendary difficulty. You know, this is <laughs> like the hardest tournament you could perform in. And he performed really, really well. Uh, so I want to ask about our predictions, our core breaker mm -hmm. predictions that we made for this tournament and how they turned out. But I just have to uh, preface this by saying, I think you did a bit better than me. <laughs> I have to say, like, if we go by quantity, um, you might just barely, barely um take the lead here because I do think that both Mountain Dugong and Blob NA had a Cresselia on their day two teams, so yes. uh, that is something. But yeah, it was <laughs> rise to occasion to actually pilot the the Jellicent, um even further than those two Cresselias, and I do think I do think it is a good meta read. It is. Resisting the the searings uh, from the Skarmory that we saw everywhere has a good matchup into Shadow Gliger. It has a good matchup into Dugong. It has a decent matchup into Whiskash too. A little more iffy um um with uh, the Shadow Whiskash to be honest. But mm -hmm. yeah um also just a little a little spoiler for later in the podcast. Another pick on Rise's team will be my uh, Casas prediction for Dortmund. Oh okay okay. Well, I, I won't give away what it is, but I'll just recap because this is a pretty unique team. And I just want to list the Pokemon briefly. Uh, Rise brought Jellicent, Annihilate, Abomasnow, Talonflame, Registeel, and Shadow Dragonair. And whenever I watched Rise play, it just felt like it, when he was on the team selection screen, it felt like he was standing in his kitchen and he was just opening his <laughs> spice cabinet. And he said, hmm, which core breaker am I going to bring this game? And how am I going to just pick apart the standard meta that's in front of me? That's just the feeling I got watching him play. Yeah, I actually um, hopped into uh, so Tactical's watch party of, of the regionals. And he um, basically told me that he did scrim against Rise to Occasion. Uh -huh. And he, like, so Tactical used my Liverpool team that Looked a little bit similar with um, Registeel, Obama Snow, and the Shadow Dragonair also being featured on there. And basically, the, the Rise team is a mix of what he used against Toe at that point and a mix of what Toe threw at him. So I don't take credit for the team, but it does feel as if it's like kind of born out of the same school of thought as what I ran in Liverpool. And because I really believed in that team, I also really believed in, in Rai's team. 
and mm. yeah he definitely definitely um gave us a bit of a proof of concept there because like with that stacked of of a top cut um, um making it this far is impressive already so 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 what you're saying is he was inspired by the team that you thought was good that was actually originally inspired by nighttime clasher is that what i'm hearing <laughs> <laughs> is that what i'm hearing I really want to know where NTC got that from because <laughs> I I was like, oh, did he play that team? And I just didn't see it. And then I scrolled down his Twitter timeline and he played a similar team in a cup where he yeah. had still like a Medicham, something that was Shadow that wasn't on my team or vice versa. So there were like still differences. It looked similar, but then again, he was the guy to ask me for the Skeletor Chabama Snow team before San Antonio. So basically, oh. we, we were just exchanging recipes back and forth. And yeah, this is like just... Because like every... It's it's uh, the same in, in PvP as in art, where mm-hmm. every everything is inspiration for the next piece of art. And That's true. Um, like, I, I'll say I don't take credit for the Rise team at all, but I do think... It, um, just borrows a little bit of of the overall idea that I had with my Liverpool team, mm-hmm. and yeah, I do think that's an excellent meta read, and yeah, like also excellent driver of that car. So mm-hmm. yeah, no surprises there. Well, before I actually wanted to ask you because I, I see in the notes you have a discussion about the meta being stale. And before we get to that, I just want to make a quick shout out to Zimmy Kid finishing uh, 16th, but brought Surfetched, the only uh, shiny Surfetched that we've seen in a while. And I think that was uh, a pick that I was kind of gravitating <laughs> towards a few weeks ago. So, so mad ups to, uh, to Zimmy Kid for that. But yeah, I think a lot of people are, are starting to have this discussion, you know, with Skull debuffs and with, you know, Lick Tongue Mirror matches and, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of things like that. People are starting to feel like the meta's a bit stale or repetitive. I don't necessarily share that sentiment, but I'm curious what mm-hmm. you think. Um, I have to say, I, I did um, discuss that question in a lengthy Twitter thread. And I would say that it feels more stale than it is to me. Because if you just look at the amount of variety and the amount of viable picks, there's still a good bunch of diversity within the meta. And there's also still um, a bit of a development going on. Like we always have those storylines after the tournaments. And we basically came from um, Annihilate being introduced to Dugong being the new core breaker for like Whiskash Geiger cores to um, Shadow Whiskash replacing the regular Whiskash. So Mm -hmm. it's basically always those little adaptations. But because the big players of Likitang, uh, Whiskash, Chargerbug, Gliga basically stay the same, and because they're also all quite bulky, like same goes for Azumarill or, or Skarmory, it does feel a little more conventional um, than it maybe felt three months ago, where um, at this point in the season, we all of a sudden had a Seeking... Um, an Octobax and a Clefable on the same team making a grand finals. So uh, <laughs> that was that was probably an outlier in terms of how wild the team compositions got. Hmm. Um, and I do think the meta currently is stable, but it's not stale. It just feels yeah. less out there than uh, the previous meta felt. Yeah, I, I feel like with every meta, there's like a a progress bar to determine at what point something becomes solved. You know, I'll use the word solved because I feel like uh, when you have all these picks and you have all these different dynamics, I feel like um, at a certain juncture, you, maybe maybe it's six tournaments in, maybe it's eight tournaments in, trainers kind of have locked down to a point where they think is going to be effective. And it's really kind of bold to vary outside of that at all, because it feels like you're taking too much risk. And I feel like in, in the past, we've had some metas that were just completely solved out and didn't need any other tweaking. And still you'd have some upstarts, right? When we were locked into the lantern Trevenant knockdown nightmare, we had <laughs> some, some trainers that would bring in a Lola nine tails, right? A shadow Lola nine tails came out. We thought, Oh, is this the core breaker? You know, like the famous anime meme of the guy with the butt 
butterfly. Is this the core breaker? And uh, people would try it out. And granted, they won a couple of tournaments, but I feel like eventually things kind of bubble down to where they've been. I think that we're pretty mature in this meta. I'll, I'll say that. I think we're about maybe 75, 80% of this meta solved. But I do think that when the rotation comes in, a, in about uh, three weeks time, that we will need that refresh and that refresh will be really good. So I'm excited for that. I just hope that there are big changes because I know you, it's been said before that Niantic doesn't want to change the meta too much before Worlds, but we're still months out, right? We exactly, still have exactly. We have plenty of time. Let's experiment a little bit. And I am 100% in the same boat just because um, I think even though this might not be personally the meta that I enjoy the most, just because a lot of the Pokemon that are currently viable are those that I won't typically choose for my GBL teams just because yeah. I gravitate towards Pokemon with a lower stat product than stuff like Azumarill and Skarmory. And those Pokemon are still very like technical and skill intensive. Like I do consider them a little less forgiving than, than squishier Pokemon, but mm-hmm. it does take nothing away from um, like the amount of skill needed to master them. Um, I just have less experience and that's why that's why I feel worse about it. Um, but I do think Niantic did a really great job both in uh, the last meta and in this meta um, to make it so that after like you had basically had three months of fun with it and then you wanted something new like yeah. you didn't feel like okay we still haven't solved this we still need like more time with this matter but you also like don't feel as if for the last month and a half everything has been the same i do think like the lantern trevenant matter um was probably the the worst offender in that regard yes but ever since we've never really had that kind of a situation and yeah like if we if we keep this three month cycle up in in the same way we did for the past like six months um i would say we are really on track for like a great competitive year of of play pokemon yeah I, I mean, I couldn't have said it better. I feel like a lot of people will look back and the nostalgia factor is real. I see so much nostalgia for Trevenant Wall Rain meta. Uh, a lot of people say, oh my God, it was the greatest thing of all time. You know? I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I have to say. <laughs> but I don't necessarily need it back. I just need something that is equally as fun. And true, you true. can provide that without Wall Rain or Trevenant. It, there's some merit to breaking down the past metas as well, because if you remember, we're just coming out of this superior Gligar Metacham Lantern meta that we had for, for a few months. I mean, that's the meta where, where Harjef won LAIC with double electric when charge bug really started to, you know, rear its, its little face. And I feel like uh, we kind of moved through, through these things so quickly that it'd be fun to kind of do like an analysis, you know, segmenting these metas, breaking them down, kind of stamping some kind of identity on each era of the championship series. And if, uh, if people are interested in, in hearing something like that, then let us know. And Zwei and I will, will get to work doing that. But so I wanted to ask, are there any other thoughts you had regarding the overall meta, or do you want to touch on the grand finals? I would head straight into the grand finals or okay. rather into, into the day two of the competition and sure. especially Dunebug's Annihilate. Um, because <laughs> Speedy, what do you think out of the 10 night slashes thrown, how many of them did boost? Oh, this is a great question, but I think yeah. I already know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I deleted <laughs> it from, from the document after like leaving it up for a minute. I don't know. Maybe you counted. But... No, no, no. I, I think I counted. I think I counted. Oh, okay, because... okay, okay, okay. In, in his round against Rockhaven, he got two. And mm. then he had another round in the winner's side bracket where he also got two. And then in the grand finals at the very end of game three, I believe he got a boost. So it's yes. five out of 10. Yes. Yes. It's a 50% chance for a night slash <laughs> double booster attack. <laughs> that's why we that call is him exactly boost true. <laughs> yeah. That's why he's boost bug. I guess. I loved his interviews, by the way, that was because Doombox started out as a bit of a Pokemon Go villain, right? With the Registeel dispute and all the drama yeah. around that. And people were really like throwing shade at him. Yeah. But now he's he's really um, won over people, I would say. 
and mm-hmm. like his his interviews like i referenced it referenced it in earlier with that. i'm feeling pretty boosted today and also, <laughs> yeah. like, before before the onion frank match out like first i'll have to chop some onions like he had this one liners <laughs> down and i was so here for that so mm-hmm. yeah like definitely the main character of the event we we could do uh, honestly. I've I've known Dune for for quite a while, right? We have a long history of playing each other, especially in the in the uh, twenty twenty two or twenty twenty self season. And I feel like ah, there's so much to be said, right? But I I agree with you. He started off as somebody that was abrasive, was definitely uh, hard to get along with, had unshakable views about certain things, and it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But I feel like the Dune bug that you met back in Indianapolis for our first season and the dune bug of today are almost completely different people. I think the dune bug today is happier. He's more confident. He's definitely proven himself in so many ways. And I know a lot of people that pour so much of their time, their energy and their attention into a competitive format. Once they get that success and they kind of validate all the work they put in, it definitely kind of rounds them out as a person. Whereas if you feel like you aren't getting what you deserve or you are letting yourself down, which I want to put more emphasis on that, when you don't per- per- when you don't perform the way you believe you should, it can definitely kind of eat away at a person. And I feel like Dunebug has just been incredible. I have so much love for him and I'm just so happy uh, to see what he's been able to do. And I think the confidence factor, like you pointed out, is just unreal. And I think it all comes back to confidence. I mean, after dropping in the first round of San Antonio and sweeping the tournament, you have to have the strongest mental game of anyone that walks in the room. Like you have to feel like your your brain is made of iron, right? You can do everything. You can do literally anything. Like Yes. And apparently he can. Apparently he can. He just wills the boost into existence. <laughs> I, I loved how on stage when he was closing in on the grand finals win, he just held up the number two. He says, <laughs> I want two. I want two regionals in the same season. Give me another one. Yep. Man. And he gets the two stage boost because it's just like divine intervention at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like, and like he said as well, uh, you know, a famous quote from, from his, from his dad, right. One that really stuck in his memory is that as long as you keep trying, right. As long as you keep persevering, eventually you're going to reach your goal. And I definitely think he's been able to do that. I'm, I'm so incredibly proud of him. Let's talk about Pokemon usage in the grand finals, because this was a quick one, right? When, when I was watching the grand finals, I was thinking, okay, you know, magic Mason, Toronto regional champion, you know, he's no pushover. He plays a lot of different Pokemon and he's going to do well. Well, Dunebug actually became the fourth trainer this season to 3-0 in the grand finals. Only four out of our, our so far 16 tournaments, we've had a sweep in the grand finals. The others being King Alexander in Peoria, Elite in Sacramento versus Bopper, and Lyle Jeffs versus Kayshawn in Charlotte. So this was definitely a dominant, one-sided grand finals victory. Uh, in terms of usage, though, Dunebug brought Shadow Whiskash to all three games, we saw Shadow Gligar twice, Adam Mason, and Dugong only once. Now, I remember last time we did a really fun kind of like Mud Bomb versus Scald counter for Nighttime Clasher mm-hmm. versus Tomahawk. Are you ready for our updated counter here? For sure, for sure. All right. So in game number one, Dunebug brought Whiskash, but he didn't even need to show it. He actually beat Mason <laughs> with Chargebug and Lickitung, and Whiskash never appeared. So... There's that. <laughs> However, on the other side, Magic Mason did bring his own Whiskash. He scalded three times and he mud bombed once. You want to guess how many debuffs he got from three scalds? I would say one. He got all three. All oh. Three. Yeah. Game number two. Dune, Dunebug brings Whiskash again, right? This is his, his Shadow Whiskash. Second game, he threw four mud bombs and zero scalds. And a particular note I made here is that Dunebug, his Shadow Whiskashers match up against Dugong. So it makes sense to just throw mud bombs. Definitely. Mason did not bring his Whiskash game two. Game three, final game of the grand finals, both players brought their Whiskash. Dunebug threw one Scald, Mason threw two. You want to guess what the debuff percentages were for each of them? I know that one, at least one of the Mason Scalds did not debuff because I do think I remember that. Yeah. Um, Let's just say zero for Mason, one for Dune. Perfect. You nailed it. Dunebug threw one Scald. He got one debuff. Mason threw two and got no debuffs. And then uh, Dunebug threw a parting mud bomb against Annihilate. So 
yeah, I kind of, I don't want to say one-sided, right? Because Mason got three scalds in game one and three debuffs, and Doomba got one scald and one debuff in game three. So, kind of distributed. Yeah, yeah. Like if you if you just go by the total number, that's about what you would expect. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it's interesting, right? Because because a lot of people have uh, maybe their their predisposition to see certain things, or maybe once they've seen it once, that's all they can see. For example, a fun exercise to do: if you are driving. And you say, yeah, you know, I saw a red car today. I promise you without fail, you will see more red cars along that drive that you take than you have seen in weeks because that's what you're looking for. So a lot of players are saying, oh, the Skull debuff is too strong. It happens constantly. Well, the numbers say a different story, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like kind of kind of the law of attraction at, at, at some point where you yeah. just think, okay, like it this is this is a debuffing move or like sometimes you have you ha- you have this feeling where you think um oh my whiskash or my reggie steel is broken and then you like as soon as you think that sometimes you just get a, an unlucky streak and go yeah. with like four or five charge attacks in, in a row without a debuff and then you will even like weeks later you will look back at your pokemon and you will hesitate to bring that pokemon because oh mm-hmm. I got so unlucky that one time. Maybe, maybe I should re- really leave it on the bench and not trust in it. But that's that's all in our heads. That's just biases. Well, sorry. So I'll tell you one thing that I know to be true, past any shadow of a doubt. Every single time my opponent uses Crunch against me, I get debuffed. <laughs> and every time I throw Crunch, they don't get debuffed. Okay, there's no there's no disputes. It's just facts. I think that's that's not even to do with uh, the percentage. It's just that your account is on hard mode. <laughs> I think I'm cursed. Legit, I think I'm cursed. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a it was a quick grand finals. 3-0 Doombug takes down last season's Toronto champion Magic Mason. Fun fact about these trainers, we talked about uh, unique Pokemon earlier. We talked about excluding shadows, shadow variants, for example. If we exclude the shadow variants for Whiskash and Gligar, Doombug and Magic Mason both went into the grand finals with completely brand new teams of six, as opposed to their previous regional wins. And that's amazing considering that dune bugs was just in December a few weeks ago. Yeah. That also goes to show that this meta is actually quite dynamic and allows for, um, team building that isn't as clear cut as it might seem just from the amount of like time that we see, but that's just like, <laughs> There's, there will always be staples in a meta, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's always going to be something that bubbles to the top and that uh, that really is effective. But speaking of bubbling, why there was a little bit of a, a, a judge ruling that had a oh. lot of trainers boiling over, uh, kind of kind of pissed off, right? Especially if you are uh, a fan of one of the players that it happened to. And a lot of people were kind of confused about consistency and things like that. Of course, I'm, I'm speaking to the Valor Ash ruling, in particular the matchup with where he had a Gligar mirror, and it, it looked like Mason lost at least one or two wing attacks. Do you want to talk about the judge ruling a bit? Yeah. Um, I think what really made people upset about that judge ruling is the way it was later explained on stream, um, basically indicating that it happened too early in the matchup. And that is just... Um, if that was actually the explanation given, like there's always it's always a bit of a game of telephone where you don't really know uh, what the actual reasoning was and how it maybe was changed from like people passing it on. Um, but that is just not a good argument to not grant a rematch. Like if you have game breaking lag early, um, it doesn't really make a difference. Like <laughs> if you if you have it early or late. Because yeah. the outcome is the same, right? Like you lose uh, valuable fast attacks, um, you lose health, you lose energy, um, and you might not be in a spot where um, it would have had the same win conditions. Mm-hmm. So I do think the reasoning behind the ruling definitely was what really made this from just an unfortunate decision to um, a bit of a scandal on social media. That and the fact that um, with Valor Ash, um, like he did his his utmost to um, not stir stir up the the riots too much on Twitter. Like in fact, mm-hmm. he spoke out against people um, basically 
um, talking talking bad about the judges, and I think yeah. that just shows his his sportsmanship. Um, but like people people were upset because that is not what you expect from such a high stakes matchup and and such an such an important ruling. Um, but as someone who um, basically got into a discussion like that just a week ago with the Liverpool regionals for one of my own matches, yeah, I want to say that the judges are only liable for those situations, um, like how much text they actually have to go by. Like if if the, yeah. if you have like a clear rule book where it says okay, if you lose two fast attacks in the lead matchup, you get a rematch if that is um basically defined then you would have had no issues then you can just apply that to the situation in question and it would be it would be solved so quickly but because a lot of it is just oh like you know the game judge please do it by feel um like of course there's there's rules and um they they have to be applied, but a lot of the, the this applying of the rules is still very subjective and um, probably difficult to handle in the in the situation. Um, because if I recall it correctly, even if uh, Valor Ash got those wing attacks, the backlines would have still favored his opponent in that situation. So yeah. if you are basically um, in a position where you have to say, okay, do we have to replay this and Replays and play Pokemon are also done with different teams. Hmm. Um, is this really enough to take away the victory from the other player? And that is a more difficult question than, oh, was Valorash affected by the lag? Because of course he was affected by the lag. But then it's basically, oh, would have affected the out would it would it have affected the outcome? And that is so subjective because you can't predict how the game would have played out. And it was probably more likely that Valash still would have lost the series. But um, this being such a murky gray area um, really makes it so that people have different opinions and strong opinions. And mm-hmm. that's that's how drama arises. And if yeah. we had like it codified in a way, that would be a lot easier. I always find it ironic because the Silph Arena went through so many different kind of growing pains over the seasons. And uh, I remember rematch ruling that was kind of given. The last rematch structure was same leads, different back lines, right? Mm-hmm. That was like the phrase that we used, was used quite a bit. And I think that over the years of testing and battles and trying to find the most fair and equitable way to 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 carry out these rematches, Silphorina kind of arrived at certain decision points. And I always find it slightly ironic that Play Pokemon kind of hit the reset button on this and we're like figuring this out as we go. And it's not like you can borrow directly from video game or from trading card because Go is just such a different game. You know, uh, if you're in the middle of a match of Pokemon Unite and one player drops out and there's, you know, three minutes left on the clock and, and you're up by 400 points or whatever it might be. If one player drops out, you just have to restart the game. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Right. That's just how the rematch rules work. And I, I agree with you. Uh, what you said is actually perfect. Right. Judges have to operate within the structure that they are provided. If a rule book doesn't have a condition on how to deal with a certain situation, then they just have to interpret the rule. It's almost like law, right? You just have to interpret this, the spirit of the law, the spirit of the rule in order to determine what the best outcome will be. Now, um, another point you made about people attacking judges, that's what Mason said as well. Honestly, if you're a kind of person who's going to attack the judges personally, you should just go kick rocks, like put down your phone and, and quit being an asshole, right? Just just don't do that because the judges are just there volunteering their time and their effort to do their best job, right? That's like the same people who who go after referees in like American football. Like, oh, my my team lost the game because of this ref's calls and I'm going to, you know, call them or I'm going to drive by their house or something creepy like that. Just don't do that. Don't be that person. You know, don't be that weirdo that does that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, all the points you made are perfect, right? Like they have to operate within a certain framework, et cetera, et cetera. The, the question becomes like, how do we grow from it? I get so sick of people always just pointing out what's wrong. You know, oh, I didn't like this episode of the show or I, oh, I didn't have a very good day. And I say, well, what was wrong with the show? What would you like to be improved or what went wrong with your day? And how can, how can you prevent that from happening next time? And a lot of the time people don't have an answer. So I'd, I'd really rather people 
start to come up with more answers, then they have problems. I think everybody would be better off if we started thinking more solution oriented. And once you think of a solution that you think is good, send a support ticket to play Pokemon, right? And we'll see, we'll see if something can come of it. I think that's just the most constructive way to go about this. Exactly. Exactly. And I do think um, what you mentioned about maybe borrowing from, from the self rule book, that's like one of the constructive solutions that I hope to see implemented. And um, also, like just talking about my personal experience in Liverpool, I was really upset for a day or two. And I do think it's um, perfectly human and fine to experience those emotions, especially if you're personally affected. Mm. But I did make a point of not really taking that to Twitter or social media because whenever it actively affects um, volunteers that um, basically spend their free time to make this game better and this championship circuit better, mm -hmm. um, all, you, all you do by um, putting your negative emotions out there publicly and amplifying them on, on social media is that you make it so that fewer people are willing to uh, take on that responsibility to yeah. put in the work to um, make the game better and make the championship series better. So yeah, like you're only, you're only hurting yourself if you go after people on Twitter or other social mm -hmm. media sites. That would be the ultimate own, right? Like if you really would just, you know what, everybody who's pissed off at the, at the ruling, right? Just hear me out. If you really just want to get in there and just make things right and make all the other judges, you know, look, look less intelligent, then you become a judge. You go in there and become a judge and start to rule on these on these games how you think it would it would it should work out right. I think that's a good way to get back at everybody. I think that's what you should exactly. Do. Exactly. <laughs> well, sorry, we have a few more topics to touch on already. Um, as we, I guess we're already at the one hour mark. This episode went oh. pretty quick. Um, I, I want to say again, we had a tournament doubleheader this weekend. We had the Melbourne regionals as well. I think we can make a few quick notes on this, but I think it'll get more coverage once we see the battles and, uh, we'll, we'll include that in our next episode. So famously, right? Yakovovich beats out Dunebug 97 by mere hours, becoming the first <laughs> player to be a back-to-back -back regional champion in the same season. He also won Brisbane earlier this season. And and I remember watching back that battle footage. That was when uh, Zoe Two Dots was recording over Yako's shoulder to watch the battles. And you kind of get like the glare of the screen and you're kind of trying to look where, you know, where his thumb is covering up the switch and all this other stuff. But I, I actually listed out all the teams he used, all the Pokemon, who won switch advantage and how the series went. And I got to tell you, Yako just destroyed with the Lantern Metachamp Superior. He just absolutely played it better than anyone else he was sitting across from. And he did, he actually won this weekend with a, a completely different team that I think you actually admire a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the one thing that I, I mentioned earlier is, okay, those Pokemon in this meta are typically too bulky for me to enjoy using them. And while uh, Jaco's team did have the staple Lickitung, he also went for a Pelipper. The both the Gliga and the Whiskash are Shadow. He did have the Obama Snow on his team, which was my my caster's pick, my podcaster's pick for like two weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. And he did have the Charger Bug to round it out. And none of these are like really Pokemon like besides the Lickitung that you want to take multiple hits. And yeah, like piloting those Pokemon to um like probably the biggest um australian regional to date yes. if i'm if i'm not mistaken um that is that is uh, nothing short of impressive and um he did also post a very interesting twitter thread on that very topic um how he built his team and mm -hmm. what he built his team for and how he went strategically weak to Lickitung, but um managed it managed to build a team that basically was designed to always make them bring the Licky, but also minimize its utility. And I do think that is just advanced team building strategies. And I really enjoyed reading that. I can just only encourage all our listeners to check that out. Um, Jakobovic, OCIC, the last OCIC champion, two times regional winner in uh, Australia, definitely one of, one of the goats of the game. And yeah, I am yeah. very excited to see him compete at Worlds against 
um, trainers from all over the world. Yeah. Jukovic is definitely a standout player, like you said, uh, IC champion, double regional champion. It feels like he can do it all. And he's definitely uh, just, I, I would say at this point, head and shoulders above most of the other trainers in Australia. But there are a lot of them that are incredibly talented, right? Like whenever I see Valiant Vish on a bracket, I know that player could could run the gauntlet, could win it all. I know uh, Caleb is a big fan of AV Rip because AV Rip, uh, I think it was, no, I think it's Rob Drago. Excuse me, Rob Drago. Uh, oh, it's the bust guy. The Bastion player, yeah, 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 yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> He's also no, 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 no. It's all, no, it's all coming together. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I'll, I I'll do think, it. I do think there was a Bastion in the grand finals as well. Um, so yeah, that, that might be that might be a bit of an Australian Pokemon after all. Well, well, that makes me like Yako even more for beating a Bastidon. So, <laughs> so he's he's got my respect. Uh, Av Rip as well, very talented. I wanted to mention as well that Rocket Claire finished third place. Yes. I'm just I'm over the moon for her. That's a huge accomplishment, and uh, it definitely showcases what she's capable of. So I can't wait to see what she does in her next tournament. And I do think they um, took a picture of Rocket Claire. Um, be before the tournament even, and I don't have it present right now, but I do think the the picture basically said something along the lines of like the future is female, something um of that spirit. Awesome. And yeah, she she showed everyone <laughs> that was that was an impressive run. Absolutely. I can't wait to see the battle footage. And if you're like me, you definitely want to tune in and watch it. Well, luckily, PvP Steve, if you want to follow him on X, is at PvP Steve One. That's the number one. He says, we'll be streaming all the battles from Melbourne Day 2 this weekend, Saturday at 10 a.m. AEDT, which I guess is Australian time, or Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern U.S. So that's why I'm sorry. I'll have, I'll have to let you do the conversion on your own. And uh, the channel is twitch.tv slash Steve 7 That's the number seven. So I'm really excited to see those battles and how they went down because the Australian trainers and they are a different breed completely. But that's why we have some exciting events coming up here some regionals on the way, as well as a Go Battle Day stream. So this upcoming week weekend, we have Dortmund regionals and the Go Battle Day stream. So what is your core breaker choice for Dortmund this weekend? Um, one thing I also want to point out is that even before the next Brazilian regional, we will have the Utrecht special event. So that ah. will take place only like a day after the new meta changes are actually coming into effect. Um, so that will be exciting. Um, basically, nice. no time to prepare at all. Um, <laughs> looking forward to that. I don't know whether I'll be there yet, but um, fun times regardless. I will be in Dortmund. And my prediction for the Dortmund tournament is a Pokemon that has seen some play both in Europe and in North America. It did top cut, but it's still looking for its breakthrough. It got buffed um, at the beginning of the season, and it is Talonflame. Mm. But not just any Talonflame. Talonflame with both flying charge attacks. I what? don't believe in flame charge. Oh, wait, wait, no flame charge on Talonflame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would think that you want to boost those um, four damage per turn incinerates, but no, you want the accessible fly and the hardening brave bird. Flame charge? What do you want fire damage for in, in this meta? There's barely mm. any grasses. Um, Registeel is definitely on, on the downturn. Like You can't even win the zeros against Whiskash anymore now that it's Shadow. Um, and you'd <sighs> probably do enough fire-type damage with your fast attack anyway. And yeah, Fly and Brave Bird, you can stack them. Brave Bird or Whiskash, and you might flip that. You live a scout from a normal one, and um, if, it's, if it's Shadow, then it's IV-dependent whether you even lift that and get a move off. So... Yeah, huh. fire type that can beat the best water type in the meta. That's that's something, right? Wow. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wasn't prepared for that. That that feels like <laughs> that feels like taking taking psychic off of Metacham or taking Hydro Cannon off of Swampert and running Surf instead, you know? But then again, we have had superiors succeed, right? Like Galaxica Bolton famously with Leaf Tornado instead of Aerial Ace. I will so, just say the last time I took Psychic off a of Medicham, I won a tournament. So <laughs> okay, okay. Wow. Well, <laughs> I I should have gone first because your prediction is just way better than mine. <laughs> I, I feel like I can't follow okay. you up. Like, please, please, please say that <laughs> thing is uh, the pick to win Dortmund. No, 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 no. So so here's <laughs> here's my here's my prediction. Right, I believe that the Shadow Whiskash 
is going to overtake regular Wiscash in the top 16 usage for the first time ever. So at this previous tournament in Knoxville, we had seven regular Wiscash in our top 16 and only four shadows. I think those numbers are going to flip. I think we have at least seven shadow Wiscash make top cut in Dortmund. I can totally see that. Um, it will depend on whether people have actually TM the Wiscash or not. Yeah, yeah, that's um, why. It will so depend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely a very strong showing of, of the shadow catfish this past mm-hmm. weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, trainers have about 120 days to gather championship points, whether it's at a regional championship or a Go Cup or a challenge. So make sure to head over to play Pokemon and check out your tournament map and find some local competitions near you. Uh, in terms of events, not a whole lot to mention. We are finishing out this uh, Lunar Lunar New Year, if I'm not mistaken. Dragon Takeover, but I'm confused because I don't see many dragons. But um we're going to see how that <laughs> continues to develop. We just had Dratini Spotlight Hour, and we just had the end of our Team Go Rocket Takeover. So if you're like Swilus and you did not TM your Shadow Barboach, um, F's in the chat for you, because that's uh-huh. unfortunate. <laughs> well, so I, I think we're approaching the end here. I'm not sure if there's anything else you wanted to mention, anything else we didn't cover uh, regarding either Melbourne or Knoxville, or anything you're looking forward to in, in uh, Dortmund. There is one thing I want to add because I know that one of the competitors in uh, Dortmund, um, a previous EU regional champion, is uh, Palasha97. Ah. And she actually started streaming on Twitch. Um, I haven't actually managed to tune into one of those streams yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently there was some confusion whether it would be in Spanish or in English. But if you speak either or both, it's probably worth giving her a follow because she's one of our uh, European regional champions from last season and already made some strong showings this season. So yeah, it will be it will be top tier PvP gameplay for sure. Palasha's so good. She she had always just crushed me in ADL whenever we played. So I can vouch. I can vouch that Palasha <laughs> is is goaded. And if you want to learn, you should definitely go over to her channel. Well, sorry, it's been a fun episode, a fun recap of Knoxville. We'll have even more Melbourne coverage. We'll kind of combine that with the upcoming Dortmund coverage as well. But uh, yeah, I had a great time, great show, and um, I'm excited to see you after the next one. Yes, yes. See you then.